I like that. He thinks like I do. That's Francis Chan. He's one of my favorite speakers. He's written some, uh, some great books. In fact, that's a clip from a video series that was produced in conjunction with his book, Forgotten God. And I can identify with the point he's making in the video, you know, that sometimes we're content to remain blissfully unaware of the life that God wants us to live because we like the life that we're already living. And really, why upset the apple cart, right? Uh, so that's how I, I chose to live for a long time. If the current formula is working, why change it? But just as Chan challenges us in his book that the modern church in his estimation has largely ignored uh, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and so instead of being led by the Spirit, which is how we operate with power and authority as children of God, we're instead being led uh, by our desire for comfort and security. And Keith, this is ringing a little bit, if you can bring it down some, sorry. We therefore forfeited a life of power in some cases, I think, and maximum effectiveness as individual followers of Christ and as members of the church as a whole. And so this is a perspective that we're going to look at today as we recognize, of course, Palm Sunday, that day that Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time uh, before his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. And so it is that we're continuing our sermon series, of course, entitled uh, Kingdom Come. And the title of our message today is Visitation. Last week, we explored the uh, events leading up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as he made his way down the slope of the hill, across the Kidron Valley, uh, toward Jerusalem as the people celebrated his return to the great city where they anticipated uh, a great takeover by Jesus in order to establish himself as king. And of course, we know that he does establish himself as king, but not in the way that the Jews expected him to. And as a result, of course, they killed him for it. Here was their Messiah walking among them, performing miracles, teaching them, trying to uh, turn their hearts back to God, and instead they rejected him, put him on trial, beat him, and crucified him. And we know now that he knew, uh, he knew all of that ahead of time, what was going to happen. He knew that God's people had missed it. They blew it. For just as he drew near to Jerusalem, he paused his triumphant entry and looked over the city and he wept because he knew they were missing it. In his own words, he says in Luke 19, it's where we ended last week, verses 42 through 44, he said, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they're hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on, in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. And, and why does Jesus say that all of this is going to happen? Why will the people of Israel miss out on all that God wants to do for them? Well, Jesus explains it in the end of verse 44. He says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, God's chosen people will succumb to the power of their enemies because they missed out on their Savior, their King, their Messiah, while He was right there with them. They missed out on their visitation. For just as there was a fixed period of time when Jesus walked the earth among His people, but was largely ignored by them, I think it's worth asking, are we ignoring, in fact, the Holy Spirit in our lives today? 
because there's a fixed amount of time that we have to recognize him, whether by death or the second coming of Christ, the time of opportunity to recognize and fully submit to a life truly led by the Holy Spirit of God is a fixed amount of time. And then it's over. We then enter into eternity. So let's pick the story back up and see what we can learn from the people's response to this triumphant entry, which was leading up to the culmination of this visitation by Jesus on earth. And one really compelling observation to be made here is the fact that as Jesus was entering Jerusalem and proceeded over the next several days to perform all manner of you know, significant acts, the way that he entered the city, the cleansing of the temple, uh, his prolific teachings, the institution of the Lord's Supper, his trial, of course, his death and resurrection. Through all of that, which we don't have time to cover today, he was fulfilling ancient prophecies recorded in Scripture left and right. So many of the great oracles of God uttered so dramatically and so profoundly by those now famous Old Testament prophets were being fulfilled right before the eyes of the very people who were supposed to know and understand those prophecies. And yet they totally missed it. How could they miss it? Because they were concerned about their own comfort and security more than they were with the will of God for them. And so they missed their visitation. Now, let's head over to the gospel according to Mark and look what he records about this event because we actually get just a bit more insight in his account here than in some of the others. And by the way, just for information, uh, the book of Mark isn't actually Mark's account. Okay, it's Peter's. Mark is also known as John Mark, was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not a witness, therefore, to the events recorded in the gospel. He was, however, the apostle Peter's personal attendant. Okay, and he recorded this gospel as it was given to him by Peter. So we can rely on the accuracy of the account, of course, because we know that Peter was certainly uh, an eyewitness, a participant in this history, the story about Jesus pretty much every step of the way. So let's then turn to Mark chapter 11, and we'll start on verse 11. And just before we read, remember from last week that Jesus has now left Bethany and Bethpage, two villages east of the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, across the, the Kidron Valley, and he's riding a colt, which was the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, 500 plus years earlier. The crowds are chanting, Hosanna, save us. They're throwing down their cloaks as a sign of honor. They're uh, cutting palm branches and throwing them down, which is a sign of victory in battle and the coming peace that a, a king will bring upon his victory. Okay, the anticipation for a Messiah to come and take over, uh, possibly by force and rule over Jerusalem, was very high at this point. And here's Jesus riding in the city, much like King David or Solomon would have, surrounded by adoring fans, literally singing his praises with the highest expectations of what they thought was getting ready to happen. So what does happen? Let's take a look. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Yes, this is it. This is exactly what you'd expect 
from the Messiah. He rides victoriously into the city, surrounded by those who are cheering for him. And although it seems like, you know, maybe he would have headed to Herod's palace first, or maybe uh, one of the three huge fortified towers that guarded the palace, or the council house, which was the municipal headquarters for the city, the government headquarters first, he doesn't do that which may seem a bit odd to the people, but either way, he heads straight to the temple, at least someplace official. And of course, we know he's going to do something exceptional, something spectacular, over the top. So what does he do? Let's read the rest of verse 11. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. That's right. Jesus did exactly nothing. He looked around and he headed to Bethany with his disciples. Now wait a minute. He just came from Bethany surrounded by adoring fans chanting and singing and making a really big entrance into Jerusalem. It was such a big commotion in fact that the religious leaders came out to see what was going on and they commanded Jesus to quiet the people down. So you know all these people were with him when he went to the temple, right? It wasn't like they just left and went home after he entered the city. Of course not. They wanted to see what was going to happen. So this huge crowd making all kinds of racket with expectations soaring almost certainly followed Jesus up to the temple. And you know they're thinking, this is it. Here we go. This is going to be awesome. And following right up to the temple, can't you just picture them? Standing there, chanting and singing this great victory song as Jesus enters the temple. And then he looks around, he decides it's getting late, and he walks back outside and says to his disciples, let's go home. And they head right back out of the city to the very place that they just came from. In fact, Lazarus and and Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, and most scholars believe that's probably where they went to stay. So all the celebration... All the anticipation, all the build-up to this great moment when Jesus and the twelve turn around and head back to Lazarus' house to see what's for dinner. You know that had to take the wind right out of the crowd. It's as if he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Right? Come on, Jesus. This isn't how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to ride into town, kick some you-know-what and take names. You're not supposed to look around the temple and then leave. Man, did we ever get it wrong with this guy. What's he doing? But you see, God doesn't always lead us in the way that we expect him to. But that doesn't mean he's made a mistake either. You see, if the people present at the time had been paying attention, they would have realized that he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. In fact, he was fulfilling a prophecy in Malachi 3.1, which referring to the Messiah says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Jesus was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, exactly what was prophesied about him. And yet that is not what the people expected. What a letdown, you know? How can we get excited? How can we be interested in where you're leading us, Lord, when you don't do it the way that we want you to. You ever do that? I certainly have. You know those times when you know for certain that God has something planned for your future. 
uh, and maybe it's a particular ministry or uh, a relationship. Uh, uh, maybe it's a vocation that will finally allow you to express the gifts and talents that he's given you. Maybe it's a promise for your life. And you've been waiting on the fulfillment of that to come to pass. And sometimes in those waning days, while we wait for the fulfillment, that ministry opportunity, that relationship, you know, the right person to come along, or that career opportunity, in those interim hours between the promise and the fulfillment, we can often work out all the details for God. So that all he has to do is show up and sort of, you know, check off the items that we've created on our list so that we can walk into our destiny once and for all. You ever do that? Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending upon your perspective, it usually doesn't work out that way because God doesn't always lead us in the way that we expect him to. And so often, as soon as he leads us in a direction that doesn't line up with our plan, we say, oh, you know, well, I guess I missed it. I guess I didn't really hear from God. And then sometimes we even give up on the promise. When instead, if we would just recognize that God knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. And if we would just trust him in leading us, even in the forsaking of our own plan, if necessary, we'll end up exactly where we're supposed to. And the fulfillment of the promise will come often in a way that we never expected, according to his will, not necessarily ours. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, your ways are my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 5 through 8, or 8 and 9, excuse me. We just simply cannot expect to be able to accurately predict God's every move, right? That's why he leads us. That's why Jesus says, come follow me, right? Because if we knew the way, if we could accurately draw our own map for getting through life successfully and ending up where God wants us, then we wouldn't need to follow him, would we? But the fact is, he doesn't always lead us the way that we expect him to, and therefore we do need to follow him, even when the way doesn't make sense to us, even when his way doesn't follow the path that we expected it to. The truth is, we cannot successfully navigate this life and end up in the center of God's will for us by trying to get there on our own. But it sure doesn't stop us from trying, does it? Not me. We can have it all figured out. It all makes you know, perfect sense. We're sure this is how God is going to lead us into our destiny. And then he turns around and he heads back to Bethany. And we're left standing there with a choice. We can continue to follow him, even though it doesn't make any sense to us at the time. Or we can pack up and go home, discouraged, believing that we missed it, which is what the majority of Jesus' followers did, by the way. Before my family and I moved to Alaska, I was running these two small, successful companies. I was doing ministry part-time. We owned three homes. One of them was a model home for a business. We had about every expensive toy that I could ever want. Life was good, except for the fact that I'd longed to be in full-time ministry my entire life. 
And I knew that was God's will for me. I knew there was a calling for that. And so I was struggling emotionally. I was a bit unsettled and, and discontent because I felt that the time for me and my family to make that transition into full-time ministry and out of the business world had come. And so the moment that the Holy Spirit gave us the green light to start moving in that direction, the very first thing that we did, rather than seek Him for direction in prayer, fasting, well, instead we made a plan. It was a good plan. We started looking at ministry positions online at churches around the southeast. We started to figure out how it was all going to work and what the next steps were and so on. And it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with planning, you understand, that's good. As long as we're planning according to his leading, his direction. And most of you know the story. I won't retell it, but we ended up selling most of our possessions and moving to Alaska and ministering there at a church full time for a few years. And then following the Spirit's leading, because we'd finally figured out that's the only way this was going to work, we ended up back here planting this new church. And to be clear, none of this was anywhere remotely in our plan from the beginning. His plan and our plan in no way resembled each other, not even close. Not only could we have never come up with the actual plan that unfolded, we never could have even imagined it. It was too far-fetched to even seem real, you know, until it happened. And at some point, not long after we moved back home and opened the church here, I remember thinking, you know, God, if you had just told me before we sold everything that we owned and moved 5,000 miles away, a hundred miles south of the Arctic Circle, where moose walk around town like squirrels do here. It's 50 degrees below zero and dark for months on end in the wintertime. We lived in a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment inside the church building. You want to talk about taking your work home with you? When you have hundreds of people coming to this building where you live, it never turns off. It never stops. It was, it was a crazy experience all the things that we sort of experienced while we were there went through if I had just known God that after all of that you're going to lead us back here to start a church in our hometown where we started you could have saved us a lot of trouble because <laughs> I could have stayed here and just started the church and kept all my stuff but that wasn't God's plan it may have been my plan, but it wasn't his. You see, he intended for us to go to Alaska, where we needed to learn a lot about ministry, where we needed to form certain relationships, where we received a calling to start a church back here in South Carolina. I'm absolutely convinced that had we not gone to Alaska and through all of the experiences over those years, we wouldn't have started this church in Traveler's Rest. Because in order for this church to be planted... We needed everything that happened to us in Alaska to happen first. Did you know that almost all of the money that was raised to start this church came from the church in Alaska? That's how excited they were about this new work in South Carolina. They financed most of it. I received my first seminary education in Alaska, and then that church helped send me to England for grad school. The ministry experience that we gained in the church working there was like an accelerated, intensive training program for pastoring a church. It was a baptism by fire, or ice, 
if you want to look at it that way. In fact, everything that we needed at the time to be prepared for planting a new church in South Carolina, we received while we were in Alaska. And although we didn't know that's what was happening at the time, he certainly did. He knew exactly what we needed, even though at times what was happening didn't seem to make any sense to us. I remember standing outside the church shoveling snow for hours because people couldn't get in the doors. The snow's this deep and you, you have to shovel these pathways for people to get in and out of the building. And I'm standing out there freezing, shoveling snow by myself thinking, what have I gotten myself into? What am I doing here? But he knew exactly what we needed. Didn't seem to make any sense to us sometimes, but we know now it was all in preparation for this. He doesn't always lead us in the way that we expect him to, and that's okay. And we have to be okay with that. The key for us is that when his plan takes a different direction than what we had planned, we still have to choose his way over our way. Because ultimately, that's the only way that we will ever end up where we're supposed to. The fulfillment of our destiny resides in his understanding, not ours. That's something we should remind ourselves of often. The fulfillment of our destiny resides in his understanding, not ours. He reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it. And of course, we can look back after the fact, often with greater understanding and hindsight, of course. But as far as the future is concerned, that rests with him. All right? Now then, let's return to our story. Jesus has just taken the wind out of everyone's sails. He rode into the city through the eastern gate into the temple district. He stops by the temple. He looks around and heads right back out of the city, back to Bethany. He doesn't lead the mob to overthrow the Roman fortress. He doesn't even uh, confront the leaders in Jerusalem. He doesn't address the crowd. No inspirational speech. He just looks around and leaves. Talk about a letdown. The great theologian William Lane Craig says, What a disappointment for those who had hailed his entry. What kind of Messiah was this? What sort of deliverer is this? In the ensuing days, Jesus did cleanse the temple, but he didn't raise a finger against the Romans. In fact, he didn't even raise his voice against them. Instead, he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Who needs a king like this? Those who were following him could not have understood what he was doing or not doing. But Jesus certainly did. Okay, let's see what happens next. Mark chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 12. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, before this passage and after it, we see Jesus being challenged by the religious establishment. These were people who had the appearance of righteousness. In fact, they were not godly men at all. And the significance of cursing of the, the, cursing of the fig tree was that figs generally appear on fig trees the same time that the leaves do. When the leaves come into bloom, the figs appear. 
So the fact that the fig tree was full of leaves and bloom should have indicated the presence of fruit. That's why Jesus walked over there to, to begin with. That's why he bothered to see if there was something to eat. And beyond that, the fig tree was symbolic of the hypocrisy of these religious people who gave the appearance that they were bearing spiritual fruit when in fact there was no fruit. So let's keep reading. As they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And this is the fulfillment of prophecies in Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. Okay, keep reading. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So finally now, Jesus begins to take some aggressive action. But not against the Romans. The the Jewish people were expecting that. But instead he takes action against the religious establishment. And rather than recognizing his authority as the true Messiah, Mark says that they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him. Why did they fear him? Because he wasn't playing by their rules. They didn't understand his leading, and instead of submitting to his authority, they missed their time of visitation. You see, it's not only that he sometimes leads us in ways that we don't expect him to, but it's also true that when that happens, if we ignore his leading, we can miss his time of visitation. Which for us today is the Holy Spirit who guides us through this life if we allow him to. And I believe that It happens all the time. We have an idea of how everything is going to unfold in our future. And we make plans and set our hopes on those plans. And then when everything doesn't unfold the way that we thought it would, according to our own plan, we think that we must have missed something. And instead of saying, okay, Lord, I don't get it, but I'm with you wherever you lead. Sometimes we choose to ignore his direction, his leading, where he's leading us because it doesn't make any sense. And in doing that, If we head too far down our own path, we can totally miss out on what God has for us. By and large, the people of Jesus' time on earth missed their time of visitation, which was prophesied by the angel Gabriel in a revelation to Daniel in chapter 9 of Daniel 25 and 26. Uh, Just as predicted, the anointed one was cut off. The people missed their time of visitation. They blew it. They failed to recognize God in their midst. And I wonder how many of us are missing our time of visitation. Real communion with the Holy Spirit who dwells, of course, inside of all believers. I was missing it for most of my life. Because I didn't really want to give up my comfortable life that Francis Chan talks about in the video. But once I began... To allow my life to be directed by God through the Holy Spirit within me, everything changed. Life didn't get easier. In fact, it got much harder. Like Randy Stonehill says, life is tough, but God is good. It's true. Life got tougher when I began truly following Christ. But what I've gained infinitely outweighs what I've given up. There isn't one moment of hesitation for me in answering the question, would I do this all over again? Of course I would. How could I not? 
The experience of following Jesus Christ, living a spirit-led life, is vastly superior to the alternative. Every day is an adventure with Christ. And the key is trusting the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, even when we don't understand it. Because if we ignore his leading, we can miss out on his plans, his promises for our lives. It's about having faith. Trusting that he will do what he said he will do. And Jesus explains this to his disciples as we finish out our text for today. Let's read it together. Back in Mark. And we'll start on verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. So Jesus spells it out here. He says, look, make sure that you have no unresolved sin in your life when you pray. Make sure that any offense that you might have against anyone is taken care of. If there's any sin in your life, repent. Humble yourself before God so that he can work in you, so that he can work through you. And after that, you simply need to have faith that he will do what he said he will do. Okay, again, verse 24, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We're not talking about prosperity gospel, okay? That has been so distorted and perverted, that verse in churches. Okay, we're not talking about name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. <laughs> we're talking about according to his will, according to his word. Okay, that part is very clear. But what we need to equally understand is not only will whatever we're believing for be given to us, assuming obviously that we're believing what we're believing for again is according to his will, in line with his promises for us, in line with his word, but we also need to understand that when the promise does come, it will be on his terms, not ours. All right? It's not a matter of whether or not God will fulfill his promises in our lives. It's a matter of whether or not we're willing to follow him wherever he leads us in order to receive the fulfillment of those promises. Because we often not only want what we want, but we want it our way. And so much of the time, probably the majority of the time, our way doesn't necessarily line up with his way. That's why it's called the road less traveled. Because most people are not willing to travel his path. They want to take their own path. And what, what happens for many professing believers then is that they pursue their dreams, the calling on their life, the promises they've been given, but they try to do it their own way instead of his. And then when their path doesn't line up with his, they can sometimes ignore his leading. I've done that. And then when everything doesn't work out the way they thought it would, they blame God for not following through with his promises. And they, in some cases, lose their faith and sometimes even break fellowship with the body of Christ and reject the truth that they once claimed. In fact, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years who've said some version of this to me? Well, you know, I grew up in church, but it just doesn't work for me. Or I've tried the Christian thing, and it just wasn't for me. But time after time, after talking with those folks, what usually becomes clear is that these aren't people who have necessarily attempted to live according to God's word. 
They've simply attended a church for some period of time, hung out with church people, and it didn't work for them because the church culture that we've created didn't work for them. These are generally people, at least in my experience, who've tried out Christian culture, but not necessarily ever attempted to truly live according to his word, right? You, you can attend a church forever and learn all the Christian songs and say all the right things and hang out with all the cool church people, and that's great. But if you haven't actually made a decision to follow Christ, which means living your life according to his word, according to his path, even to the forsaking of your own, then I can tell you unequivocally that it will not work out for you. And really, why bother anyway? Trying to live like a Christian without actually following Christ is like trying to become an Olympic swimmer without actually ever learning how to swim. You can hang out at the pool with all of the swimmers all you want. You can buy the right kind of swimsuit. You can do all the right kind of stretching and warming up. You can definitely look the part, but if you don't learn how to swim sooner or later, when you finally decide to get in the pool, I guarantee you it is not going to work out for you. Being a Christian isn't for the faint of heart. The world is a deep pool, and it can very quickly overwhelm you until you drown in it. But when we decide to truly follow Christ, even when his leading doesn't make any sense to us, then he shows us how to navigate our way through the water. Not only how to survive in the pool, but how to thrive in it. Learning how to swim isn't necessarily intuitive. That's why people who land in deep water who don't know how to swim end up drowning. They thrash around until they sink. You have to learn how to swim by following the teacher's instruction, right? Likewise, we learn to live out the Christian faith by following Christ through the Spirit's guidance in our lives and the constant consumption of His Word. I know there are obviously exceptions to everything, but I just haven't met many people personally who have said, I've tried to live according to God's Word and it was a mistake for me. It, it was bad for me. So instead, I'm figuring all of this out on my own, and I'm much better off now. And I'm not talking about those, again, who've tried church or grew up in church, and it didn't work out. Because I've heard many people say, well, I'm not a believer because I, you know, I got hurt in church. Well, join the club. Really. I don't mean to be crass, but who hasn't been hurt in church? We've all been hurt if you've been here any amount of time because we're human beings and we make mistakes and we hurt each other's feelings. It happens. That doesn't make it okay. Certainly not. Many, many people have legitimate complaints about how they've been treated in church. But believe it or not, that doesn't give us a free pass with God to walk away from Him or from fellowship with other believers. Nor does it validate the statement that I've tried to be a Christian and it just didn't work out for me. Because being a Christian is a lot more than simply hanging out in a church with other believers. That's one element of the Christian life and certainly an important one. But it's just one ingredient of the entire prescription by God for being a follower of Christ. It's like if the doctor tells you to take a combination of these four drugs and your disease will be cured but you decide that you're only going to take one of them because you don't really care for the other three. And then when you're not cured, you claim that you tried it the doctor's way and it didn't really work out for you. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Not at all. We're talking about 
Uh, we're not talking about trying out church culture here. We're talking about living your life according to his word, according to his leading, which is what this is about, you see? Because I've also had many people over the years tell me that they tried their life their own way and it was a mess, but once they started living according to his word, following Christ with abandon, that life began to make sense. Things began to work. The broken pieces of their lives that lay around their feet like ruins from a great disaster were beginning to be put back together in a different order by Jesus Christ, creating a whole new picture. It makes a lot more sense. As we continue on this journey with Jesus through the next several days of his life and death and resurrection, we'll see that most of the people around him weren't willing to follow his leading because he didn't lead the way that they expected him to. In fact, most of them decided to ignore his leading and they missed their time of his visitation. But those few who chose the hard road, the road less traveled, who stayed the course, even when it didn't seem to make any sense, those few men and women changed the world. I believe that we all have the opportunity to live our lives to such an end that all those who encounter us are indelibly affected by the power of Christ that is working inside of us. I believe that. And that's how you change the world. One encounter at a time. When the Spirit of God is so strong in you that everyone who encounters you encounters a visitation of the Holy Spirit, then you become a world changer. I want to tell you, that takes grit. That takes a steely resolve to follow Christ's leading, even when no one else around you will. But would you really want it any other way? This is what we were created for. This life is our moment. It's our time of visitation. And sure, it may mean giving up some comfort and security to walk that road less traveled. But in the words of the great Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One more time. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray.